Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have Casey Aaron Clark and Julie Fogg, co-founders of Vital Voice Training. Hi, Casey and Julie. Hi, Hello. JJ. How's it going? I'm good. Other than some technical difficulties as we passed, <laughs> I'm good. Um, you know, it feels like spring is coming in New York, which is nice. Cheers. Yeah. So let's talk first about what the, you know, we'll get into some other areas that I love when, especially when I have co-founders, et cetera, to talk about. Mm-hmm. But let's start by telling the audience, if they don't already know, what Vital Voice Training is. So Vital Voice Training is a voice, public speaking, and communication consultancy. We work with private coaching clients one-on-one, both on speeches and specific projects that they have, TED Talks and keynotes and all of that stuff. And we also work with them on presence, general communication presence. We also work with companies. Um, We do a lot of corporate training in, you know, team communication, presentation skills, all of that stuff all through our lens, uh, primarily as professional actors. Amazing. And so what, like, what led you to this? Well, both Casey and I have uh, acting backgrounds, as she said, I have an MFA in acting and um, she's got a degree in musical theater and is an amazing singer. And um, I know I moved to New York City many years ago to pursue my big Broadway dream, which it turned out wasn't what I wanted at all. What I enjoyed the most was the voice aspect because of how connected it is to you know, are the like the the raw center of our humanity and mm-hmm. being able to navigate with the voice uh, because that's attached to the body. All of this was very exciting to me. Um, I also grew up as a pretty shy introvert, so knowing the how of how this worked was really exciting. And so Casey and I were both taking a uh, a class that we refer to as affirmation aerobics uh, back in <laughs> or late 2013 and had this moment of um, meeting each other and talking very surface about voice, but realizing both of us appreciated the expression of an individual's voice. And we're not looking to help any more people sound like middle-aged white men. And mm-hmm. that's really the foundation of where this started. And it was in a particular time of a pretty vibrant criticism on women's voices that we sometimes refer to as a, the, the great moral panic over vocal fry. And it just became very 
obvious to us, the impossible double binds that women and frankly, anyone whose voice is underheard land in, in order to be taken seriously. So, I mean, are you talking about like your actual physical voice? Like when you're interacting with your like company, this is, or you're talking about your overarching voice You're, you know what I mean? It is a both and, I mean, your voice Everything that makes you, you makes your voice, your voice. And when we talk about this with clients, we go into what we call the four arenas of voice. So there's the physical voice, which is, you know, the mechanism by which we create sound, our body. There's the mental aspect of voice, which is how our thoughts become speech, how we choose how to show up, the perspective through which we're hearing things and responding to things. There's the emotional aspect of our voice, which tends to be very scary territory for a lot of people, especially in environments that let's just say are not supportive of people having or showing emotions. And our voices are incredibly reflexive and responsive to both what we're feeling and especially to what we're trying to hide that we're feeling. And then all of that happens in context. So the fourth arena is the social arena, and that is our given circumstances. It's the scene that we're in. It's what are the norms of behavior in my office? Who is seen as a leader and who is seen as a follower? Um, What is executive presence to the people who are defining it in my arena? And do I hit that mark or not hit that mark? And those questions are so important. I was just listening to your episode from last week with Lisa from Gravitas, and Mm -hmm. she was talking about the origin of her company being her getting this feedback that she didn't have Gravitas. And this is, this is again, this is part of that origin story of vital voice training, watching women get this impression-based feedback over and over and over again, that their voices and their presence, their communication presence was not worthy of being taken seriously, really pissed us off. Yeah. <laughs> and the advice that was being given was so reductive and so sexist. And most of it boiled down to just learn how to imitate somebody else exactly. and then you'll be taken yeah. seriously. Yeah. Well, I've actually seen it the opposite way too. Always being called bossy and aggressive. Oh yeah. Even, you know, people really like listen to you. So if you said things differently and I'm like, I'm literally talking in this voice right now. So should I be going, oh my God, guys, that's great. That's so not me. <laughs> no. Right. No. And and that's basically what they were saying because I would literally, and I would do it on purpose. I would say the exact same thing in the exact same tone as one of the guys. And all of a sudden it was like, why is she yelling? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Talking yeah. about, you know, and I would get in trouble for it. And I'm like, uh-huh. you know, I was like running a company. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm literally saying things exactly mm-hmm. the same way as you are, yep. you know? And so the hypocrisy and the prejudice is actually on both sides. It's very much so. Men, but it's on the young kids who are like used to, you know, women being sweet and nice. It's on all ends. Yeah. You know, so it runs in Gen Z and millennials blood to to also be just as prejudiced when having a male and female uh, boss and the difference Mm -hmm. that they treat them, you know? Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it all. And the double binds in particular, 
There's a great quote. Um, Jordan Kissner wrote a piece for The Cut uh, in the middle of the 2016 election when everybody was talking about Hillary Clinton's voice and how robotic and cold it was and how she just wasn't warm. She just wasn't relatable. Um, and she she said, basically, it boils down to the nominal problem with women's voices is that they are too something. Mm-hmm. And those twos come in inverse pairs. You're too emotional or you're too cold. You're too um, authoritative or you're too weak. You're too chatty and talkative or you're not leaning in enough and getting your voice heard on the table. But the fact that these come in inverse pairs just means that there's there's no way to get it right. You're yeah. always going to be two to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Not not. um would you say relatable or? With, oh yeah, like yeah, because Trump is so like squishy, you know. Oh yes, <laughs> and sweet. Um, okay, so I mean that seems like a big thing to take on. Like, how are you doing this? Yes, it's a huge undertaking. My dad calls it trying to solve world hunger because if there's an impossible problem, we want to figure it out. We want to yeah. find out what's happening underneath the wheels of perception. We want to find out what can help. Um, individuals be able to walk into a room with the energy of their choosing, uh, how to find the power that you already have that you don't need anybody else's permission for. These huge, huge questions. So we look everywhere. We are looking pan subject. We're looking at neuroscience. We're looking at sociology. We're looking at business literature. We're looking at anything we can that's helping to put pieces together in this giant, giant puzzle. Because Mm -hmm. for us, if we can create a huge map, and I always picture the Hobbit. So you've got like the Shire (laughs) and Mordor and, and all of this and help put some guideposts in the gray area, because that's what we settled on. We can't solve this for you, but we can change the conversation. And what that has done for us as we work through work with our private clients is to tackle this via making sure that they know this isn't going to solve making Chuck from sales listen to them because that the problem wasn't them in the first place. The problem is us in broken systems or us in situations that might not be the most conducive or safe for what we want to express. Mm. So yeah, all of those things come to play in it. And with those four arenas of voice, there's lots, lots to pinpoint. I guess all that to say is it's been nine years that we've been doing this and we've Mm -hmm barely scratch the surface, despite the fact that we are huge nerds that spend most of our time thinking about this stuff. Right. And so who are your clients? How do you, you know, get in there and, and, you know, start scratching the surface? You know, it's so funny. I think most people look at a two woman company and think that all of our clients are women. And actually our first clients were men. Mm -hmm. Um, They happened to be men, both of whom uh, English was a second language for. They were both kind of these nerdy scientist types who were not feeling very confident in how they spoke. Um, our clients typically are folks who are somewhat outside of the mythical norm, right? If the mythical norm is middle-aged white dude of a very particular brand, they're outside of that. We particularly love working you know what? I'm going to let Julie say who she particularly loves working with. I have a real heart for um, recovering perfectionists who are finding their inner rebel um, and their inner um, 
sometimes we call it the the flaming inner middle finger to the status quo and the systems, but who have spent their whole life trying to be good little girls and do it correctly. And they're ready to break out of that box and show who they really are and show up in a huge way. They're often founders. They're often the faces and uh, voices of their brands. Uh, They have big ideas that they want to share. And I think one of the coolest parts of our job is getting to support those huge ideas being delivered into the world. That is like, oh, it's the best. And Julie Julie has a heart for uh, another type of client that we serve. This is also one of the benefits is that um, we kind of come on, on two different sides of the introvert extrovert scale. So my soft spot is for weirdos the neurodiverse and the introverts, anyone mm-hmm. who feels like they were struggling and that this didn't come intuitively to them, um, but they've got something to say. That's my jam. I love, love, love getting to show people that were quieter that it's okay to be visible and, and it can be fun. That makes me really happy. Well, you know, part of the mission of this podcast is to highlight women who, you know, might not otherwise get that, you know, visibility, yeah, people can hire them. So if people want to hire you, go through like what that would be in either of these scenarios, because both of these scenarios are really talking about the others, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And even the men that you, you know, obviously not, you know, second language and, or probably immigrants, which, you know, not, not a big voice in the, in the United States, like, um, Right now, anyway, I thought, even though our whole co- our country is built on immigrants. Um, so what, like, what would they do? What would you do? How do you, you know, coach them? Is it like a series of 10 sessions and then you go over with them? Like, how do you work with people? Casey, I'm going to let you take that one. Okay, great. So like I said at the beginning, our private coaching clients fall into two categories. There's the people who are working on a specific project, like, I've got a keynote coming up. I've got a TEDx. I've got an interview. I've got, I'm pitching my company for funding and we are working on that project so that, you know, they're going to, we often do sort of custom programming for them based on how much time they've given themselves. We've had several people come in in about the last six weeks in that panic place of, I have a huge thing coming up in three weeks. Can you help me? And it's like, Yes, we can. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. we've got a little bit of time. Then there are the people who are looking for a more global communication transformation. Um, They are often in new positions of visibility in their company, or they are a new manager, or they've gotten feedback from their boss that they don't have gravitas. And they're like, what do I do about this? Those folks work with us over a period of three months, their weekly sessions, and we call that the deep dive. But the other way that um, is actually very relevant right now, because the the course is starting April 22nd, um, we're about to do our fourth cohort of what we call power play, which is our very small group, very intimate communication training mastermind. And we love the private coaching. The one-on-one coaching is fantastic. Power play, the experience of power play is so special because as you and your listeners and your interviewees well know, sometimes so often what we need is community. We need to see our experience reflected in someone else. We need to know that we're not alone in having gotten feedback that we don't know what to do with or having had a a moment where you felt so good about what happened. And then afterwards you were second guessing every single thing that came out of your mouth. 
the experience of power play over the the three cohorts that we've done, um, the diversity of the women in the cohort is its greatest strength and them seeing and supporting each other as much as we are there to provide training and frameworks and all of that stuff. We really love power play. It's very exciting. Yeah. So that is, a, um, how do you do it? Is it Zoom? Is it live? What is it like? How does it's it work? Synchronous Zoom, because we, we're, we're bi-coastal. I'm in San Francisco. Casey's in Manhattan. So by nature of that, for us both to be there, it needs to be virtual. But we want to be in the room. We don't yeah. want to create something and have you wrestle with it on your own. We want to be right there helping you. So it's it's live virtual. It's live virtual. And how many people are in each cohort? We um, Eight to up. ten. Yeah. 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 So it's, it is intimate and it's, it's really special in that way. Yeah. And what are the people who are coming to that? They're like, you know, is it more in your category of the introverts, you know, that are coming in there? (laughs) You know, it really, it runs the gamut, but what I've started to realize, especially now, um, last year when we were running the cohort three, we came up with um, this quiz of what's your work armor. And it was eight different kinds of of ways we adapt to toxic circumstances that don't actually keep us uh, in our most successful best self moving forward. That really resonated. So a lot of the participants are people that that have done everything they know how to do and aren't getting the results. And they're starting to feel their soul eroding day by day and starting to feel like they're getting smaller and smaller. And that that runs the gamut of industries. That runs the gamut of income levels. It's a really widespread. It's more, I guess I would say, um, is it a, a psychological type rather than mm-hmm. a demographic type? One of those work armor archetypes that I think everyone who comes to this course has a little bit of inside them. We call it the volcano. (laughs) And this is the woman who has been the rock for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like she is doing it every day. She is holding it steady. She is holding herself and often her organization together. And underneath that is this like simmering feeling of like, I'm about to blow. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And I don't know what's next. So we've been talking a lot recently, especially because our clients, we're noticing a huge trend of trend of burnout, just an yeah. enormous <laughs> feeling of, I don't feel supported. I don't feel like necessarily anyone, but maybe my other girlfriends have my back. This is you know, the the skim just put out an incredible research project called the state of women that was talking about this and what that looks like when you're edging into burnout, what that looks like when you're fully in burnout. And then what looks, what it looks like as you're coming out of burnout is something that we've been thinking a lot about because it just seems so universal right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm my- definitely the volcano. I've always been the volcano. It's like, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so tired of it. Like, you know, it's like, you yeah, like, oh, well, they don't really need anything. And, you know, it's like, no, we do. You know, I don't ask. Yeah. That. I mean, you shouldn't come and give it to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is one of the beauties of, of theater as a medium and of 
the work that we get to do, particularly in power play, is giving people access to a space for the biggest version of themselves. Because we don't get that in daily life, like because we do have to hold it together in so many different sets of given circumstances. But like, it's one of the reasons why when we put this together, we're like, we want a drag queen to come in and teach us how to strut. We want a rapper to come in and talk about rhythm and speech and diction and how that could like, we want a space for people to get to play. Mm -hmm. That's the play aspect of power play because it doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so heavy. We can actually explore size in a way that is safe. And then we can bring it out into the real world. Mm -hmm. And and two things about it. One, the idea of play, uh, not just the idea, the the practice of play is one of the things that can help edge us out of burnout. Mm -hmm. The other thing is burnout has the word burn in it. And I think about that. How can that word be more appropriated to something instead of burning out, burning it down? I think that's really where I've come to over the years is if it's not working, let's let's light it on fire and back and forth. A lot of women were ready to burn that Yeah. Yep. Those fuckers down. But yeah, the um then after I like started my own company and realized it's like I can put my own parameters up. It's only my my career that's you know what I mean that I can burn Mm -hmm. down now. And my, you know, so I think that's you know super important, you know, point. But one of the things I always tell all of my you know, and I think you know, I represent mostly women, but what I tell most of them you know, when they're talking about like, oh, you know, I don't want to ask for more money because, you know, they can't afford it. And, you know, I don't want to like push too much because, you know, I want to be nice. And I'm like, (laughs) no, no, no. We played a fucking win or they're not going to take you seriously. Like Mm -hmm. you're never getting ahead. If they don't think you can negotiate for yourself and advocate for yourself, then you're not advocating for the company and you're just filler to do all the errands and all of that stuff. Not only that, like if it's hard for you to advocate for yourself, then think about the thing that you love the most, right? And to me, it's my kids. I don't care if it's your dog, which was my dog before my kids. And then he was a very close second and sometimes first who's kidding who. There are a lot of (laughs) You know, every time you're getting passed over, undervalued, underestimated, underpaid, under whatever else, it's not, you know, don't think of it as a disrespect to you. Think of it as a disrespect to them because every minute of time that they're taking away from you is, you know, is time they're taking away from them. And that's who they're disrespecting. And I will Mm -hmm. kill people for my kids. You know what I mean? And so it's like, why am I allowing this to happen? They they don't respect us. They don't respect Mm -hmm. my kids enough, you know, um, Mm -hmm. to treat me well, because I need to be my best self when I walk in that door, you know, and it's very helpful to put yourself in another situation and think about it that way. Because you're right, burnout is real. All the volcanoes are always women. You know, it's just (laughs) like... Yeah, it's I, I can't agree more. So um, I love everything that you're doing and, you know, yeah, scratching the surface. But you know what? Enough people start digging and we'll get to the core, you know, in all different areas. Speaking yeah. of volcano. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen and we've seen a shift over the nine years. I mean, you know, when we started talking about this in 2014, I mean, let's be clear. People are still talking about how annoying vocal fry is. People are still talking about how uh, about how upspeak undermines your confidence um, and filler words and all of that crap. But we think that the conversation is starting to shift. We think that more people have accepted that there are 
different ways of showing up with confidence in the world. Again, as you were talking about with Lisa last week, um, what's missing right now is the action. What's mm-hmm. missing right now is like the conversation has moved forward. Now the organizations have to move forward. And this was like the biggest finding of um, the book that we wrote on authenticity in the summer of 2020, which is that people, you know, I think authenticity is a really popular buzzword right now. Like bring your whole self to work or, you know, show up with your full self at work. Well, A, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And B, how can we accomplish it if the organization is actually not supporting it? Mm-hmm. So authenticity as an individual's pursuit is not serving us anymore. We have to create the conditions for authenticity. And that is a group project that requires all of us to be able to listen better and to be able to accept, again, different sounds, different styles of communication. So when you're helping, you know, people like you're helping individuals, et cetera, you know, get their voice, their true, authentic voice, et cetera. And then, but when you're showing up, like we were talking about the very beginning, like either being like rolled over all the time or being called bossy because you have, you talk in your normal voice as a woman, (laughs) like, how are you helping them? Like, how does, then how do you integrate that knowing that companies still aren't ready or millennials and Gen Z are still like, oh, she's yelling. You know what I mean? When it's like, no, I'm not, (laughs) you're just being prejudiced against me, (laughs) you know? Um, I had just written down a note that was an answer to that. <laughs> like you anticipated that I was going to ask you yes. that? I love Look, it. It's the idea of be on your own side. I think that that's where we can come in. Because again, one of our phrases that we say is our work is best practices and broken systems. It mm-hmm. can't fix everything. But if the world is against you, you don't need to join them. And what we notice is that that stuff gets internalized and it it ends up in the self-critic in this way that is this horrible monster that's making it even hard to take a a, a literal footstep forward because you're hesitant not knowing if it's the right step and the consequences of getting it wrong are so, so big. That is a a large aspect, looking at the self-critic in a way that we're not therapists, but being able to kind of give that a a name and a a body and a character to it. So we can start to see it's the the man behind the curtain that is trying to keep us safe, but not necessarily successful. And so for us, I think breakthroughs of recognizing that and what to do beyond that is um, a big way to start. And also so much of what we teach is is, um, strategic rule breaking. It's under the surface of everything we do. And and sometimes people just need to hear the permission to go and break a rule that they mm-hmm. they don't understand why it's there. So we, we're definitely your more rebellious coaches. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burn it down. Break it. Perfect. The, right. the tools of theater are so suited for this exact thing because, and it's one of the reasons why I think what we do is so fun and why you know, even someone who might be initially like, oh, the tools of theater, like you're going to teach me how to talk louder and you're going to teach me how to like not be nervous anymore. No, we're going to teach you how to understand that every human being at all times is on stage with other people. And we are trying to create an impression in other people and they are trying to create an impression in us. We always want something when we speak and we are talking to people who want something when they speak and when they listen to us. It's all a framework. And within that framework, there's no right way to do this, which also means... I'm not going to say there's no wrong way to do this because there are actually like a lot of ways that are less effective. 
But there are so many ways that we can actually play within that framework as opposed to, and this is again, where my deep heart for perfectionists come in. When you let go of the idea that there's a right way to do this, suddenly you're free to actually try different things, to understand that like, maybe the habits that I've created over a lifetime aren't the best choice for this scenario, but I have other things that I've learned in other places in my life that can meet this moment. We talk a lot, you mentioned your kids earlier, we talk a lot about the um, the action of momming. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I think uh, like we end up talking about this a lot. Like so often when we're in a situation that is like contentious or conversations getting stressful, like, let's be clear. It doesn't matter what age anybody is. Sometimes all anybody needs is like a snack and a nap. (laughs) Yeah. But like you as the mom know how to deal with that. Yeah. Not that you treat them like children necessarily, but you have tactics that you've developed in some other arena in your life that might actually suit this scenario beautifully. Yeah. No, it's good. I know it's funny. You just said that like every time you speak, it's like you're, you know, you want something and, you know, yep. it's, it's performing. I literally just read this quote yesterday. I don't even know where, but it was like every time you speak, it's a monologue, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. I mean, look at me now. And um, so interesting. So I love everything that you're doing. And I'm sure there's going to be some listeners who are going to be looking you all up after this for sure and seeing how they can um, can hire you all. I do want to ask, like, before we have to go, a few questions about the fact that you're both from the arts, you're both creatives. And, you know, I have worked with creatives my entire career and I know yeah. how to marry art and commerce because while I do have creativity, I'm, it's not my number one thing, right? I know how to help creatives thrive and I always find it interesting when creatives and in particular, two of you start a business together, <laughs> right? <laughs> because your brains work differently, right? And so... <laughs> How, what was that process like? I would, I just like to share it. So creatives who are doing this are not so intimidated by the whole process. So to be clear, we had no idea what we were doing when we started, but it turns out everything comes down to what I used to call phone calls and footsteps, but that's a little out of date now, emails and I don't know. So we got a website. (laughs) We started, we sat around with a bottle of rosé at Casey's dining table, decided on a name bought the website. And that's, that was actually it. And then along the way, we've had to learn everything and, and learn it kind of the hard way. Because Mm -hmm. the the world of arts, we were really trained to live in scarcity, we're trained to undervalue our work, we're trained Mm -hmm. to give it away. And we had to and still work on shifting that mindset, because that's not what this is. And that's not what serves either us or our clients very well, yeah. that mentality. So I think that kind of walking into the forest as two innocent young children, we've kind of come out with like cigarettes and scotch being like, hey, yeah. um, <laughs> after our nine years in business. So the scarcity mindset is definitely, I think, the the negative piece of the of the artist journey in terms of starting a business. The The positive piece of it, I think there's a I think one thing that theater gives you is a everything is figureoutable mindset. Like it's like, I've got a blanket, I've got a bard, let's put on a show. Like we just Mm -hmm. take action. We just try stuff. We just 
put stuff out there. I mean, that day that we drank the bottle of rosé and came up with Vital Voice Trading and bought the domain, we sent out our first pitch email to a, a conference that Julie had been reading about called the Bullish Conference. This is Jen Jazeera. And it was a feminist business conference. And we were like, we want to speak at this place. What do we want to talk about? Like, and so we came up with the with the title, What Does Authority Sound Like? Mm-hmm. And we put together a paragraph long pitch and we sent it out. And two days later, we'd booked the conference. Amazing. And it was like, so I think part of it was that like, you know, theater people, like our entire job is putting ourselves out there and often mm-hmm. hearing no, that is yeah. also with you. You all are very used to rejection. And I think, oh that's, God, yes. And mm-hmm. losing, and that's such an important lesson to, to learn, you know? Yeah. The thing that my kids struggle with the most is hearing the word no, hearing like losing. It's like, it's a constant battle. And like yeah. one of them is now in an acting class. And so I ah. think he's getting the girl. I should put the boy in it and see what he. Get him to like <laughs> learn what no is. But um yeah, I mean, you reached out to me to be on the podcast and it took me 30 seconds to respond and say, yes, absolutely. Because of course, you know, it's like, because also the thing is about, you know, you think, oh, well, maybe somebody, you know, won't want it or I'm not good enough or whatever. But like the other person might be going, I'm really busy. I need to book some people. Like, what am I missing? And then it, you never mm-hmm. know, you know what I mean? Don't assume like, you're not, and yep. you're never, and I say this all the time too, you get, uh, you know, you get 0% of what you don't ask for, you know? So it's all, these are all great lessons that I love to hear from creatives um, and, you know, starting businesses and also just different pivots or things that you wanted to do. I was going to be a Broadway star and you're like, I don't even really like that. I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot of work. It's crazy. <laughs> no, we'll do it. Uh, and so no, I love it. And I love that nine years later, you're drinking the scotch and like have <laughs> all of the, the experience, et cetera. So you know, what are the things that you would say to creatives starting out, you know, in a business, like to do something like what would you have done better if you had known or something, you know? Mm. I don't know that I would have done anything different. And that's not to say that there weren't other pathways that means yeah. our given circumstances. Yeah. We did it the only way we could within our circumstances. Yeah. And I think that's what I would want creatives to know because what came to me and what gave me the courage to start a business is the summer before Casey and I met, I had gone to a, a burlesque class and it was just in a rented studio in New York City. And I realized I can rent a studio. Yeah. I can hang out a show. Yeah. And so I did. Yeah, no, that's a perfect answer because it, it doesn't have to be like your journey is your journey and it doesn't really matter. And there's no such thing as an overnight success, right? So mm-hmm. all of those things. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for all of this. I do have one question that I ask everyone at the end and it looks like Casey might've already like, you know, been thinking about this. <laughs> We've been talking about this, yes. <laughs> uh, you can each give your own or you can give a collective, but what is the worst advice you've ever received? Um, I was I was kind of thinking about this uh, because there's there's two different prongs. So I'm going to go really specific because I know Casey's is more global. Um, the advice of look at yourself in the mirror while you rehearse your talk is the most horrid advice that you could get. It is the kind of advice that sounds really good or someone's, oh, just look in a mirror. And people come in and they people who want to get it right, they really invest. They, they really look at that mirror 
and they have set themselves up to only have a feedback loop with their own face. Mm. So when you stand up in front of an audience, you're not in the right mental space of connection. You're in a very mm. internal world. You're in a very kind of me out as opposed to the give and take of communication. And that's really where we see the, I don't want to over rehearse. I don't want it to sound canned usually happens because someone has looked at themselves in the mirror and just done mm -hmm. their talk wrote over and over and over and over. But like, what happens if I smile and wink here? What happens if I lilt here, which is not something you can recreate in the moment? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. True. Love it. Uh, we have been thinking a lot about this lately, especially, you know, we're almost 10 years into vital voice training. We are leveling up like our, you know, business is really exciting right now. We've gotten a lot of advice over the years and all of the bad advice that we've ever gotten, I think might have been good advice for other people in other situations. And this is my thing. All communication is context specific. And the worst advice that we get is when people don't either take the time or have the curiosity to understand the context and understand mm -hmm. the given circumstances. And usually that's because they're giving advice to look smart. <laughs> they're giving advice to look generous. They're giving advice to be seen as an expert and they're not actually listening. And I come from a long line of women who want to fix things for other people. So I get that instinct. Mm -hmm. Like I have had to learn myself to not jump in with advice that is context-free <laughs> or that is not actually needed. Yeah. Um, so I understand the instinct, but it's like, if you're an advice giver, taking the time to actually be curious about the situation and the person you're giving the advice to is going to make your advice a hundred percent better every time. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Both great answers. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for being on here. It was really amazing and very enlightening for me. So uh, thank you uh, personally. So uh, if people want to find you, how do they do that? www.vitalvoicetraining.com. That's uh, that's our home base. Um, and if you add backslash the course on the end of that, you can find out about PowerPlay. Uh, we're on uh, Twitter at vital underscore voice and Instagram at vital voice training. Amazing. Thank you. Oh, and we also have our own podcast, which by the way, we should interview you on. Love it. Oh my no, God. Come on over and hang out in our yard. Um, yeah. It's it's called Voice Is. Uh, and we interview kick-ass, almost entirely women about their voices and their stories and their expertise. And it's really fun. I love it. And they can find it everywhere. Podcast play. Yep. Well. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yep. Thank you everyone for showing up and listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.